to us. Fires, touchdown Miami. Waddle snuck into the end zone of Miami. Boy, tight throw, tight window. They had to get that touchdown on that play. They get it. What is up, Dolphins, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and on today's show, we've got another great lineup of guests, including Miami Dolphins co-director of player personnel, Adam Ingroff, to talk about a few players and the scouting processes behind their drafting here with the Miami Dolphins, plus... Our 2022 NFL Draft Preview Series continues as Alex Kirshner joins us to preview the quarterback position. From somewhere in South Florida, this is the Drive Time Podcast. When you've got two guests, two really, really good guests, you don't waste any time, and we're not going to waste any time getting to my first guest here, co-director of player personnel for the Miami Dolphins, Adam Ingroff. What's up, Dolphins? I'm Travis Wingfield, joined today by Adam Ingroff. Adam, thanks for coming in, man. My pleasure. Thanks so, for having me. What is your title and role with the Miami Dolphins? I am the co-director of player personnel, and uh, basically I oversee the college scouting department. It's just another way of getting another eye, set of eyes on the player, and I'll go to a school, a scout in you know August or September will say, hey, you need to go check this guy out. So I like to see the top 150 players in the country before the draft and uh, I follow up and I just do it like a, what any other scout and any other NFL team would do, go to the school, talk to the coaches about the person, which is obviously very important to us, and watch them practice, maybe catch a game if I'm there, if I time it up right. So just another cog in the wheel as far as our scouting process. So I want to talk about four guys these days. Start here with Jerome Baker, who just got a second contract with the Miami Dolphins. And, you know, he does things the right way, obviously. But when you kind of had a chance to get to know him early on in the scouting process, what about his character and makeup really stood out to you guys? A very smart, passionate about the game, uh, very productive college player. But we knew that he loved football. He was very athletic and he's very fast. He could run and a very smart football player. What made him really stand out among his peers in the linebacker class that year in that draft class? Speed. Speed. He can really run. I mean, the Big Ten championship game, he really stood out. He was all over the field, and there's just something you can't teach, and that's speed, and that's what he has. I'll never forget the rep where he ran on a wheel where I was Saquon Barkley at the sideline, step mm-hmm. for step. That was that was really cool to see. That's what he does. That's what he does. What, what about him You know, made him a good fit for the Miami Dolphins on the field and also in the locker room? Well, we touched on it just earlier. It's the, the football makeup, which is important to Chris. The football intelligence is key. Can he learn the defense? Can he play multiple roles, which he has proved he can do. He does a lot of things in our defense right now. So, and then just get to know the person, if he's a good fit for the organization. It's just like interviewing for any other job. You know, at the Combine, this is basically a job fair, but Jerome fit that bill. That's, that's one of the things that he is, right? A big, a big leader on this Miami Dolphins football team. When you kind of did some background on him, what was some of the common things that were told to you about the way he led at Ohio State there? The coach is all stressed. You know, he's a playmaker. He's tough. He plays hard. And there's a lot of upside with him because he was younger. And uh, they thought there was a real high ceiling for him, which he's proved to be. We're going to stay in that position group and talk about Jalen Phillips, who had a different run-up to the draft without yeah, the combine last year. How was that process different, getting to know Jalen Phillips, both from the character standpoint, makeup, and, and, and traits as well? He's an interesting story for me personally because I have some very uh, good friends that were on the UCLA coaching staff at the time. And I was out of practice, and they're showing me the players. You know, this guy, this guy. And then I go, 
who's that guy? <laughs> you know, and, and they're like, that's our number one recruit. He's, you know, he's going to be a big time player, big NFL, you know, prospect. And I was like, that guy looks like a first round pick right there. And you know, he's a true freshman, so he's just a very gifted athlete, and he's come a long way, and it's a long journey for him, but. Seeing him that first day, it's kind of like you know, come full circle. And he, I mean, he's a hell of a player. What about his game and his traits as far as pass rush? You know, setting a strong edge and the multiple things he does. What did you see about his tape that really stood out to you guys? Well, number one, I mean, a complete freak athlete. He can do whatever he wants on a football field, which you know, not all, not all guys can do. But again, I'm going to go back to speed, high motor, um, relentless pursuit, a natural pass rusher who can run like that, who's so physically gifted. I mean, he's got all the traits you can't teach, so that's why he was a first-round pick. What about his journey that people maybe haven't heard about? Can you tell us about with Jalen Phillips? What's really special about him is he went through a lot as a person and then in his football career, and he could have walked away from football, really, and uh, he showed his passion and commitment to the game by moving across the country, sitting out a year, getting bigger and stronger, coming into the program, keeping to his goal, and then, you know, becoming a first-round pick. So I think... His journey is probably the coolest thing about him that people don't know about him. Let's stay in that linebacker room with Andrew Van Ginkle, who was a fifth-round draft pick, who, you know, he had a longer journey in terms of going from multiple schools, too. What about him really stood out in the way you guys kind of went into his investigation and background and trying to find out about him? As, as far as the, the mental makeup and character, what stood out about Andrew Van Ginkle? Uh, another interesting story, small school guy that just wanted to prove himself at the next level. And the thing about Andrew is, you know, he's very athletic for his size, and he's very instinctive. He's a playmaker, and he just kind of, like, knows how to be around the ball and make a play when it counts. I like to say that I don't think that his production matches what he actually does in the football field for us exactly. as far as the sacks go last mm -hmm. year. So what are some things that maybe go unnoticed by the casual fan that you really like about his game? Well, he does, again, he does a lot of things in the defense, dropping in coverage, sliding at blitzing. Uh, lining up everywhere, left side, right side. Um, he's just so versatile because he's very smart and uh, the athletic ability. He's one of those guys who I always like to describe as a pain in the ass player because, like you said, he might not make the sack, but he contributes to the pressure or the play or does the right thing so somebody else can come in and make a play. So one more guy that makes plays, and we'll go to the offensive side here, is Mike Gesicki, and he was a second-round pick back in 2018. Uh, what, what really stood out about his game when you guys first got, your, got a look at him and got to meet him? In college, going back to another Big Ten championship game, he made some unbelievable catches in the red zone, deep balls, and just like we've, we've seen at the NFL level, the rare body control and ball skills and hands are what separated him, but he's a weapon in the past game. He's a mismatched player. He did that in college. Seems like more and more these days, multi-sport athletes make, make the jump to the NFL, and tight ends in particular, and basketball, but he also had the volleyball background. How much of that did you guys kind of look into as far as his athletic ability in other sports? You know, it's kind of just like, I would say, icing on the cake. You know, obviously we just watch the football and what they do on the field. And then you watch the body control and the hands, and then you know our area scout or some one of the other scouts are like you should see this guy's dunking highlights. And so we put it on. We're like, holy crap, <laughs> this guy can elevate, block shots. And I didn't see any volleyball tape, so I got to be honest there. But the basketball stuff was very impressive. If you guys haven't watched it, it's pretty it's pretty sweet watching him dunk on people and alley oop, windmill. He can do it all.
I, I love that you're watching the basketball tape. I do want, I do want you to see the volleyball, though, too, because the spikes are, are pretty, sure they're pretty, they're pretty impressive as well. I can't imagine the guys just <laughs> slamming the yeah, ball on. Yeah, it's, it's not fair for the other team. But, um, you know, going back to kind of the character stuff and the makeup, and, you know, Mike is a high-energy guy. What did you really notice about him that's out at first as far as the makeup goes? I mean, fun guy to be around, big personality, you know, lights up a room when he came in and talked to us. Uh, very smart. He's an easy one. You don't, you know, you don't feel uncomfortable around him. And uh, th those kind of guys are kind of fun to interview because you just get to know that uh, the person, as far as uh, they're just good guys to be around, guys you want to go have a beer with. Adam Ingroff, appreciate your time today, sir. Thanks. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Travis. So there he goes, Adam Ingroff, co-director of player personnel here for your Miami Dolphins, touching on Jerome Baker. Jalen Phillips, Andrew Van Ginkle, and Mike Gasicki, four big-time players here for your Miami Dolphins. Let's go ahead and take our first break on this episode of the Drive Time Podcast brought to you by AutoNation and come back on the other side and preview this year's quarterback class in the 2022 NFL Draft with Alex Kirshner. That's next, Drive Time. And joining me now here on the Drive Time Podcast is the host of the Split Zone Duo Podcast. That title alone should prove his credentials for you. He's a freelance writer who previously wrote at Vox Media and SB Nation. I first found his work when he wrote an absolute banger of a piece on Nick Rolovich and my Washington State Cougars go Cougs, Alex Kirshner. Alex, thank you so much for your time today, man. And thank you for that great piece on the Cougs and Nick Rolovich. Well, hey, go Cougs. And, and Travis, thanks for having me. It's, it's very exciting to be with you. I hope the the Miami weather, if that's where you're recording from, is as good as it sounds in my head. <laughs> you know what, man? We're we're officially in rain season, which usually means it gets hot. But we're in a cold front right now, which means like 60 to 70 degrees. So I'm not going to complain, man. It's definitely better than the Palouse. Uh, and I know that you, you we, we mentioned this before you came on the air that you, you're actually a big Washington State fan, even though you're from the Northeast. How does that happen? Well, I would say that I am very fond of Washington State because I think that they are a a chaos program in college football, if you will, <laughs> uh, usually for better, sometimes, as you know, for worse, yep. um, where they're always interesting. And I like interesting teams. Washington State is one of those genuinely unique programs, presences in college football. Uh, the fan base is as passionate as any, um, as let's say, let's say they are less focused on being diplomatic than some other fan bases. <laughs> Uh, and they have a lot of fun at the Palouse and at Washington State football games. Uh, obviously, there's a group of them that brings the the Wazoo flag, Old Crimson, to college game day every single week and has done that for well over a decade now. So great fan base. Man, uh, it's it's funny to hear someone that didn't go there talk the way you are because you, you nailed it. You're spot on, man. I was just curious, before we get into the quarterback stuff, what inspired you to write that story about, you know, the, if, for those that don't know, Nick Rolovich was let go from the from the university for failing to cooperate with the vaccine mandate. I was curious, what uh, what inspired you to write that story? Well, I think that it, it was a fascinating situation where someone was willing to light his career on fire in exchange for not having to get a shot that would make him and people around him safer. Right. And so what's going on here? You know, uh, you didn't see much of this. I think any of this really uh, in the head coaching ranks in the NFL, you barely did in college football. Uh, but this one guy, Nick Rolovich decided that uh, he just wasn't going to do it. And relatedly, he's no longer the coach at Washington state. And I think that's a very interesting story. And they go on and they beat the, or the, the Huskies, I should say for the first time in the apple cup in seven years. So Things are turning up for the Washington State Cougars. All right, Dolphins fans, I appreciate you guys for putting up with that for a few minutes. Alex, we talk some Cougs on here, but I try to keep it short because 
No one down here cares about the Cougs, but here we go anyways. So this is a draft preview episode, but with two established productive players on the roster and a third in Chris Strebler with some fun upside, I want to touch on the current Dolphins quarterback room first and start here with the coaching staff changes. You know, Mike McDaniel, everyone that I've talked to, you know, media, whatever the case may be, raves about the quarterback-friendly nature of his offense that he'll bring down here. Daryl Bevel has a billion years of experience working with quarterbacks across the NFL. And then Frank Smith last year with the Chargers really helped get that offensive line, run game, and offense cranking in year two there under Justin Herbert. So how do those changes to the Dolphins' offensive staff, do you think, uh, impact Tua and this quarterback room? Well, I, th- I would hope and expect that it'll be positive for Tua. You know, Tua is one of the more interesting case studies of NFL quarterbacks the last few years because he was really at the cutting edge of the run pass option revolution breakthrough, whatever you would call it in college football, where he was running these RPOs at really a higher level than any quarterback in the history of college football. You know, granted RPOs had only been around for, you know, the better part of a decade when he got to Alabama, but you know, the first couple of years in the NFL, the RPOs have largely been the thing that he's been best at. I think that's not a surprise. You're good at what you're good at. You have experience in what you have experience with. But RPOs are harder to run in the NFL. You know, two big reasons for that. You have defenses that are better, specifically that have more guys who can play man-to-man coverage, which coaches will usually tell you eliminates a lot of the conflicts that RPOs pose. Uh, but also because in the NFL, as you know, you know, offensive linemen only get one yard downfield blocking before the QB has to throw the ball if he's going to throw it. Uh, In college, they get three yards, and sometimes it's not really enforced, so it can be more like five or even seven. That means it takes a lot longer for a play to develop, and a QB you know, has longer to decide in college football if he's handing off or throwing. I think that Tua has done really well given the constraints of just like the NFL rulebook with the kind of offense that he played in college, Uh, and he's gotten a lot better as just a conventional drop-back passer as well. The interesting thing for me with Mike McDaniel coming in, and I think that this probably get some hints from some of the players they've acquired in the offseason so far is how do you let Tua flash those skills you know that quick processing ability that served him so well at Alabama in an offense that suits him ideally uh, in the NFL Uh, I think that one thing you do and I think that this probably speaks a lot to McDaniel's philosophy is you go and get Tyree Kill Um, one of the difficulties in in the NFL with running RPOs the thing that Tua has so much experience with is that it takes longer for plays to develop or excuse me that player that plays have less time to develop, I should say, uh, because of that one-yard rule for offensive linemen. You know, great way to deal with that if you're going to run a drop-back, more conventional passing game uh, or mix in some run-pass options as well is to have the guy who gets down the field faster than anybody else probably in the history of football. So I would expect that you'll see maybe a slightly less RPO-centric Dolphins team uh, in the you know next couple of years with Mike McDaniel. But I think that most importantly, it's about building an offense that plays to his strengths. And, and I would suspect that he spent a lot of time doing that. That's certainly a big area of strength in his game. But one of the things that I think there's a disconnect from in terms of just what I see, you know, generally nationally is the idea of the downfield passing game. And like you mentioned there, that it is all RPO and there isn't enough traditional drop back passing game, but you go back to 2020 with Chan Gailey. I mean, he was running all kinds of boot principles and from the pistol and getting out on the move and play action game. And some of his best throws came on those types of looks. And then last year, he had one of the higher downfield completion percentages when throwing the ball 20 plus yards, just didn't have a lot of opportunities. And I think that, like you mentioned, a couple of, you know, snaps with an extra half second to to hitch up, get up in the pocket and drive the ball down the field. I mean, you you talk about it, Alex, Alabama, he was one of the best deep ball throwers we'd ever seen in college football, right? Yeah, I mean, Tua can throw a dime. 
when Tua gets into a groove, he throws one of the prettiest footballs that I cover in college football have ever watched on a regular basis. And I think we have seen glimpses of that over the first couple of years in the NFL. And it's just a matter of how do you consistently reinforce comfort and build muscle memory, build comfort in the pocket uh, and make him the best version of himself. And I would think that given Mike McDaniel's track record, he's, he's a pretty good guy to do that. I would think too, is pretty excited about it. Um, so it is going to be one of the more interesting offenses to watch in the next couple of years in the NFL. Yeah, fans are pretty excited, especially after the luau with Tua when Mike McDaniel got up on stage and was very participatory in, in the events that happened uh, down there at the Hard Rock Casino here in, uh, I think it's in Hollywood, Florida. But, um, you know, the old adage here, you're talking about the starting quarterback. I'm going to pull a Charlie Casserly on you here. The most important person in the organization is your starting quarterback. The second most important person in the organization is the backup quarterback. And you hope you never need him. But if you do, you'd like to have a guy you can count on. It would be hard to find a better backup quarterback right now than Teddy Bridgewater. Do you think so, Alex? Yeah, I'm, I'm a big Teddy Bridgewater fan, rooter. Um, I think a lot of people are, especially people who spent, who've spent their time focusing you know, largely on the college game where he was such a likable quarterback at Louisville. Uh, it's, it's been tough to see just some of the injury breaks uh, and the, the developments that have prevented him you know, since his first year in Minnesota, maybe second year in Minnesota from, you know, getting consistent run and being able to really build continuity. I know he played quite a bit for Carolina, I think in 2020. Um, I think that he's a great backup quarterback because one of the things that you're looking for out of a backup quarterback is to be easy to work with, uh, to be, you know, a likable, comfortable member of the quarterback room who can work with a young quarterback who will be, you know, kind of a shoulder to lean on uh, on the sideline during the game when you're you know trying to diagnose things that the defense has given to you um so i think he's i think any team in the nfl you know i've never heard someone say something negative about teddy bridgewater um only uniformly positive things going back a lot of years now about what it's like to have him in the building uh and you know i i guess we're probably not rooting for him to play too much this year because that would mean that things weren't going very well for tua but you know it's, it's hard not to root for this guy to have uh have some great moments in the NFL, you know, because he is a very likable guy or has been throughout his career uh, and has shown that he can do it and that he can play this position at a really high level. Just hasn't had the the chances to kind of build, build reps on reps on reps over the years because of a lot of things that weren't in his control. Absolutely. Not just the stuff he'll do on the football field, but the work in the community down here in South Florida. South Florida kid, he was one of the best high school prospects, probably the best ever actually for my money, at the position to come out of South Florida. That's a very rich, rich tradition here of of players and and, uh, quarterbacks, especially here in South Florida. Let's go ahead and take our last break here. Travis Wingfield, Drive Time Podcast. I got Alex Kirshner here talking about quarterbacks on the Drive Time Podcast brought to you by AutoNation. All right, back here on the quarterback preview edition for the 2022 NFL Draft of the Drive Time Podcast. Travis Wingfield, my guest today is Alex Kirshner. So Alex, I've been asking this question to all my guests here on the Draft Preview Series, and I'm absolutely loving the variety of answers that I get. I just want to know about your film watching process. When you go ahead and decide, I'm going to go get into the tape and watch these prospects, watch these kids on tape, how does your process play out? Like, is there a certain food you're eating? Do you got music playing? Is there a cat or a dog in the room that's bugging you? What does it look like for you? You know, on the occasions that I sit down and crunch film, and I need to be be very candid with the audience, that there are some some true film eaters who just <laughs> truly, truly devour tape for hours at a time during the draft. That's never really been my style. Um, but if I'm going to do it, I like to listen to the same song on repeat all the time. You know, this is monotonous work. You've got you've to put yourself really into uh 
kind of a mental loop where you can't get out of it and just sit down, you know, maybe pour a nice beverage, uh, make this, just make this a process where you are kind of letting yourself get into a trance uh, because you have to be into a trance as you could probably attest to uh, be willing to watch this much film ahead of the NFL draft. And I'm, again, I'm fractional compared to what uh, some of the, the truly crazed among us do in the months leading up to this event. <laughs> it's, I mean, it takes a rare breed to get into it. Some of the, some of the stories I've heard are guys up at five 30 in the morning, cranking out film all day. Some of the other guys don't start their process till 10, 11 o'clock at night. And they do it into the early morning hours. There's, there's no one way to skin a cat as it were. And I appreciate the, uh, the transparency there, Alex. So, you know, I mentioned the quarterback depth on this roster, We'll see if the team goes after a quarterback. I don't know, but you got to prepare for all positions, right? Like even if you don't take one now, you want to be prepared for four years down the road when these guys hit free agency possibly, and maybe you circle back to to making an addition here. So every single player needs to be scouted. And this class has seen some very interesting debates at the quarterback position. But once that first wave clears, I'm, I'm curious, Alex, of that next wave, who is your favorite quarterback, your favorite prospect that you think probably slips into the late third round? No, I would even say probably later than the late third round, but just in terms of favoritism, I love what Bailey Zappi did at Western Kentucky last year. Uh, he set yardage and touchdown records for FBS playing there. And what he did was really without president in college football history. This is a player who played previously at Houston Baptist, which is an FCS school. Uh, his offensive uh, offensive coordinator there, Zach Kitley, uh, one of his, uh, a couple of his top receivers, uh, one of them, Jarrett Stearns, also had a huge year with them at, uh, at, at WKU. They came with the offensive coordinator in kind of a player transfer and coach transfer at once um, from FCS up to Conference USA at WKU. And the results were incredible. I mean, this was one of the worst offenses in college football in 2020. Uh, you get Bailey Zappi, you get Jarrett Stearns, you get Zach Kittley running the show as the coordinator, and you have one of the most explosive offenses just in terms of uh, you know the volume of yardage and scoring that we've ever seen, again, in the history of the sport. I don't know how that will hold up um, in the eyes of NFL scouts. And, you know, there are obviously going to be quality of competition questions that people ask of any quarterback who played most of his career in FCS and then did just one year in the group of five. Um, but he played really well against really good college football teams, App State in their bowl game, Appalachian State uh, historically plays really good defense and Bailey Zappi carved him up. Uh, he's a ton of fun to watch. I'll definitely be rooting for him. Uh, and I think that given that it doesn't seem like it would take more than a day three pick um, to get Bailey Zappi, I, I could see a lot worse ideas than buying that lottery ticket. Yeah, that production really stands out when you look at it. I'm just curious, Alex, a quick aside here. and you, you don't have to do the whole dissertation. I'm sure you've covered this many times being a college football writer. Do you like the way college football is trending with all the movement, player movement, and coaching movement? Or did you like the old school like four years in and, and you're there? Yeah, I do like it. And that's different from saying it's perfect. You know, I, I think that it's certainly chaotic. And part of the reason why it's so chaotic is that it's new. Uh, but the alternative to players being allowed to transfer freely just as coaches are by the way right um and you know having the freedom to maybe make the occasional mistake is not having the freedom to move at all uh and you know being denied agency and not having the chance to find the best situation for yourself so i'm absolutely supportive of players being able to go wherever they want pretty much whenever they want as long as there's a spot for them um it's not a perfect system but i think it is closer to right than what college football had been doing for the previous 
oh, you know, 100 years or so. <laughs> I like it too. I mean, I'm bummed out we lost Jaden Delora in the transfer portal, but we also got the greatest season in Cougar football history because of Gardner Minshew transferring to Washington State as well. So I, I, I like it for that reason mostly. Back to the draft stuff here, Alex. You know, I'm just curious because I, I always like on the, a, a, if you're going to go day three quarterback, I like this idea of going after the guy that has the raw traits and the athletic ability, and hopefully you can build him up and develop him and get him playing at a high level. So if you had one day three option, the best athletic quarterback who can get out on the boot, on the edges, and make plays happen both of his legs and his arm, who is that best ball of clay kind of dual threat quarterback you like on day three? You know, one who's interesting to me, aside from Zappi, who's not really so much a dual threat as much as he'll just kind of drop back and throw it. Uh, I really like Dustin Crum, who played at Kent State. I think he did a five-year career there. He didn't have quite the counting stats in 2021 that a lot of people expected, but he's really like big um, and and moves pretty well. I think he he ran like in the four sevens, uh, so he's not you know a, a straight line burner. Maybe in the same way that like a Desmond Ritter is or a Malik Willis is at the top of the class. But he's pretty big, you know. He's he's pretty full bodied quarterback, uh, and he kind of runs in that you know maybe Jalen Hurtsy way of running a bit between the tackles. Um, you know, kind of gives you some designed run options. Could certainly do some things uh, on on boot concepts as well. Again, you're going to get those questions about quality of competition. Uh, there hasn't been a map quarterback who has really made it big in the NFL since I think Ben Roethlisberger, yeah. uh, who obviously is now retired from the game. So it's it's been a long time. Um, and he'll have to answer those questions, but I think he'll probably be in a training camp somewhere uh, and could be interesting as, as a quarterback to add to your room. Uh, I also am pretty interested in EJ Perry at Brown um, from Brown. You know, Brown has not won a lot of games in the Ivy over the course of his career, but he's from, you know, a long football family. His, his uncle, James Perry uh, is actually the head coach at Brown. Uh, I think another one of his uncles was a wide receivers coach in the NFL for some years, as well as a number of other stops. Um, and he really talks about football in a way that, you know, kind of strikes me as, as really smart. Um, just like in the way that he acknowledged the situation that he was in at Brown, um, you know, understood that he was playing in a program where, you know, he wasn't going to be on television on Saturdays and wasn't going to get, uh, a ton of eyeballs on him throughout his career. Um, but where Brown's offense, you know, if, if I understand it correctly from talking to some of their coaching staff over the years, actually was involved in some pretty serious pro style concepts, um, yeah, there, which makes sense when you have um, some NFL influences kind of in the family um, that's coaching. Uh, so I think he probably has a pretty expansive knowledge of NFL playbooks for someone coming into the league um, and might be, might be a bit of a surprise how quickly he can catch on um, for, you know, what's probably going to be a fifth, sixth, seventh round undrafted guy from an Ivy League school where they didn't win that many games. You know, not the kind of profile that thinks, ah, this could be an effective backup within a year or two in the NFL, but could be in this case. We'll see. That kind of details exactly what we have Alex Kirshner on here talking about quarterbacks. And Alex, I gave you, you know, all the day three options to go through there. And I appreciate you diving deep into the the Rolodex as it were. But now I want to go ahead and, and finish up right here and talk about a guy you like towards the top of the draft. And since Miami picks at 102 with their first pick this year, and you know, you, you mentioned Malik Willis, you mentioned uh, 
Desmond Ritter as well. It can be those guys. Among the the quarterbacks that, you know, we'll see where they go. I think both those guys probably long gone in the first round. But let's say one of the top quarterbacks starts to slide into that 50, 60, maybe 75 range. And you're sitting there at pick 102 and that guy slides down to you. And you determine we're going to use some future draft capital, go up and get him. Who's the guy that you're pounding the table for? If he slides down, go up and get that guy. You know, it's a great question. And it's so hard this year because there are so many, there's such a wide range of possible outcomes for all of these players that I think I need to caveat it that I'm less confident about. I'm confident that a few of these guys are going to be good, but less confident in anyone in particular. You know, it's just there's so, there's such a wide range of ways that this could go. I'm interested in both Matt Corral from Ole Miss and Sam Howell from North Carolina, particularly because this is a Dolphins podcast and their college profiles are pretty darn similar to Tua's at Alabama. Um, these are RPO heavy, really good running quarterbacks. Actually, they're, I think they're, they were probably used a lot more on the ground than Tua was at Alabama. Um, so if you're Mike McDaniel and if you're the Dolphins – and, you know, you think that Tua is your guy who you can mold and, and have, you know, a long run of success with. Matt Corral and Sam Howell have kind of similar backgrounds, you know, kind of similar college football profiles coming into the league as Tua does. And so that might be pretty enticing. If you want to go a different way, you know, diversity of scheme, diversity of player type. Carson Strong at Nevada um, is sort of the, I think he's the most old school, prototypical, drop back, big right arm, tall type player um, in this crop. Um, and I think most people expect that he'll go after Howland Corral as well as Ritter, Willis, Kenny Pickett. Um, but, you know, that's there's there's at least very distinct archetypes of quarterback there that if you're the Dolphins, you know, you can kind of decide which one you like. Perfect. The Split Zone Duo podcast, freelance writer at alexkirshner.com. You can find him on Twitter, Alex underscore Kirshner. Alex, you said it all, my friend. You got into the top of the class, the bottom of the class, and everything in between. We appreciate your time today, my friend. Thank you so much. A pleasure. And there he goes, Alex Kershaw. Let's go ahead and put a bow on this edition of the Drive Time Podcast. Before we do that, though, our last break. Whew, what a podcast that was. Some great information about our own guys, about this year's quarterback class, and some really good scouting reports there on Tua Tungavailoa from a college football expert and Alex Kirshner and what we can expect going forward here with Tua, with this Mike McDaniel offense and this Dolphins offense in general. So really good stuff there from both Adam Ingroff and Alex Kirshner. In the meantime, that's going to be my time. You all please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. You can follow me on Twitter at Wingfield NFL. Follow the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out our Twitter Spaces show, the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, every Wednesday at 8 o'clock with Seth, OJ, and myself. We have all kinds of great guests from Ronnie Brown, Channing Crowder a couple weeks back, Cameron Wolf, Jeff Darlington. We really cover it all on the Spaces show. And also check out the Fish Tank Podcast with Seth and OJ. And of course, our YouTube channel for the media availabilities and Dolphins today. Last but not least, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up, Caroline, Daddy's coming home.